0: Hello, it's the Album Nerds Podcast here again with Dude and Andy. Andy, what's happening, my friend?
1: What it is, buddy. Welcome to the show, everyone. Another edition of the Album Nerds Podcast where we talk about albums that we love from our rock music backgrounds. Rock on! Yeah. <laughs> 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 Today on the show, we're talking about some uh, some albums we love to have the word blue in the title. Took us about a month to come up with this topic, <laughs> and uh, it really paid off.
0: You're my boy, Blue! So yeah, we definitely, you know, we love records, and we love records of all time periods, genres, etc. and sometimes it's hard to figure out a real category, so... We decided to just pick something kind of random, like the word blue in the title, and that's what we did this time around. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we ended up with two very dissimilar <laughs> <laughs> album releases that have absolutely no connection except for the word blue, and that'll be coming up shortly. So uh lot going on here, February 2018, we had a big Super Bowl, one of the most exciting I've ever watched, great game, but we also had a quite high-profile halftime show. Did you happen to watch that, Andy, and uh, what'd you think?
1: Yeah, actually, we were, uh, we were celebrating my girlfriend's birthday during... The uh, the first part of the halftime show where they were like analyzing the game, and we had to actually stopped uh, eating cake so we could go in, in the other room and watch uh, Justin Timberlake perform.
0: Now, is your girlfriend a JT fan? Like, uh, you know,
1: yes, we're all pretty big fans of JT. I would say, yeah.
0: Okay, in sync background in her in her <laughs> younger years, or
1: I think that's likely she's in the right demographic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're a fan of him too, right? You you appreciate his music, right?
0: I'm I i I'm not a listener of his albums regularly, but I appreciate that he's a talented pop artist and I always have high hopes for the things he does. I thought the first disc in that 2020 collection was, was pretty good. Yeah. It had some old-school soul throwback to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. He,
0: like, I wasn't looking forward to it, but I wasn't dreading it like I was Lady Gaga the, the year before.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, what'd you think about it after after watching it it was okay uh, i
0: didn't he didn't sing very much a lot of back vocals a lot of i mean i liked him going in the crowd and stuff but all in all musically not that impressive entertaining wise sure definitely uh entertaining but i would have liked to have seen him go you know like prince or bruce springsteen and stand on stage with a band play an instrument Sing some songs, not all the gyrating, but, you know, I'm not into the gyration part of (laughs) pop music, so.
1: Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. Like, it's, it's so impressive to see them pull off all those costume changes and moving the stage pieces around and knowing they had to get it all together in like 10 minutes, you know, after the... Second half or the second quarter ended. But yeah, I I've seen his live performances before, like regular concert performances, and they're much more involved and he's much more does a lot more singing and, and uh coordinated dance moves and so yeah, not too bad, but uh probably not really representative of what his live show is.
0: What'd you think of the Prince tribute? There was a lot in the news about that yeah. being disrespectful because Oh, really? Prince didn't want to be well, uh, Prince had made statements in the past about never wanting to be presented, like, as a hologram or do a duet with someone after the grave. He, thinks, he thought that was demonic.
1: Huh. Yeah, I could see him saying that, so, actually. I mean, I get it. <laughs> it's, yeah. like a good Prince kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was pretty tasteful, honestly. It wasn't really a hologram. It was yeah. more just uh
0: A projection. I know, but it it was a duet, which wasn't sanctioned by Prince. But, you know, whatever. People like that stuff. I I get it. You're in Minneapolis. You you have to do a Prince song. I just, you know, people overreact. I guess Twitter went crazy, but you know how that goes. So anyway, yeah, all in all, not bad, not classic at all. Like when Prince performed in 2007, I think it was, and when Bruce Springsteen was on a few years back. I mean, I prefer a, a real, you know, artistic performance rather than a song and dance show but that's me.
1: That definitely does describe you pretty well, man.
0: <laughs> I think
1: America prefers the the dance yeah, song and dance show. Yeah. So, it's you know, it's more performance unless a uh, art form, but uh Yeah,
0: they they dude is not in, not in their minds <laughs> when they're picking who's going to It's like, "Oh, you know." <laughs> well. All right, all right. We should probably get back on topic, huh? How
1: about these blue records, huh?
0: You're my boy, Blue.
1: You boy, <laughs> <laughs> from the uh, the classic uh, 1990s film. Uh, what's the name of that one? Old oh, school. Cool. I think
0: it may have been early 2000s, but yes, those the Will Ferrell and his buddies uh, Vince Vaughn yes. and all those that that spate of movies that was coming out that were all very funny. All right, yeah. So we're talking about albums that have blue in the title. I went really deep. To an art, you know, a band that I've never talked about before. Oh, wait, I have, but I love them. And uh, this is an album worth talking about. It's Allison Chain's Black Gives Way to Blue. So that was Check My Brain, which was one of the early singles from that album, one of the harder songs on that album as well. Andy, what was your impression when when you first heard that song? Did you think, oh, this is definitely Alice in Chains after a 14-year absence after Lane Staley passed away with a new singer? Did it sound like them to you, or were you you skeptical when you first heard
1: it? You could have told me that came out like, you know, 12 years prior you know when they were still active as a band i mean it sounds just like vintage allison chains to me
0: jerry cantrell and lane staley shared vocal duties in the old allison chains when lane staley passed away from drug problems i guess it was really bad for him it was done allison chains was probably done and then lo and behold they got a new guy william Duval, and uh they found a way to come back. They found a way to sound like themselves. It's like nothing changed in some ways. Now, the the songwriting is a little bit different, but it's still the same. There's sadness. There's gloom. There's sort of almost creepy underpinnings with the way that they construct their songs. But I didn't hear a lot of stuff about drugs. I heard a lot of stuff about missing their friend, Lane. And I think that was really important for this record. After all those years, there were some tributes to him. Did you pick up on that part of it?
1: Yeah, there were a couple of tracks in particular that seemed to be dealing with, with their kind of loss of him and, and trying uh, to kind of pick up the pieces after after he passed. I think there's also some of the uh, the quieter songs on the record, too, that maybe are reflecting some of that somberness that the band might be uh, feeling. That wasn't really a side of them. I had associated with Alison uh, in Chains, you know, in their earlier works. A lot of it was pretty angry and, ag- and aggressive, and they take the time to have some more like almost like bells on this record. But they still work. They still work really well. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't sound cheesy by any means.
0: They started off in like uh, the late '80s and became famous in the early '90s. They only had four. They, well, they're up to five albums now. This was their fourth. But they had those EPs, "Sap" and "Jar of Flies." Do you remember those EPs back in the '90s? They were more acoustic, more low. You know, sort of a lower key. And some of the elements you're talking about in the slower songs here remind me of songs from those two EPs. If you haven't listened to them, Sap in particular is just awesome. A lot of Jerry Cantrell-led songs there, which I've always liked. I've always preferred Jerry Cantrell's voice as the leader. Even when Lane Staley was in the band, I liked him better like Chiming In and Jerry Cantrell's solo work Boggy Depot Degradation Trip are two great records too and you can hear elements of that in this because I think it's a little bit more his show songwriting wise
1: yeah well they do so much with the vocal harmonies right I mean for most of most of their songs it's both of them that's the key right so it's kind of like can you find somebody that really compliments Cantrell well and I think Duval he does a great job with that man he sounds he sounds good I mean at times he Kind of, kind of can't tell the difference, you know.
0: Yeah, and I believe he uh, he has a background. and He's about their age. He was in a lot of other bands previously too, and he started touring with them after they did a tribute to Lane Staley, and it kind of grew from there. I don't think they intended to record new music, you know. Once you got that harmony back, and that's part of what that those droning harmonies is part of what made Allison Chains right. Allison Chains, and also what made. Jerry Cantrell's solo work, not Allison Chains, even though it was, you know, I could hear half of it there, you know. So William Duvall has allowed allowed that to to be back and uh, really well done. And he's kind of in the in this album, unlike the album after this, "The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here." I think he's a little bit more in the background, Hmm. less of lead on this particular record.
1: He really kind of comes in his own on the next record, but fair band coming out of a really long hiatus. This record is impressive, man. Really impressive.
0: I did want to talk about the first song, uh, All Secrets Known. If you read those lyrics, it really does. It talks about Lane. It's about moving on. And it's about hope and a new beginning and time to move forward. And I think that's important for these guys like mentally. And I think that's part of what makes this album something I really connect with. I don't know Lane Staley, but I missed him and I missed the band and I felt it when in these songs like black gives way to blue, which is the title track is definitely saying goodbye to lane. It's definitely stylistically different, but it's a beautiful song, beautiful ballad closing out. It closes out the record, right? And, um, something we're checking out, but Why don't we listen to another track? And I believe you mentioned this one is one of the slower, lower key. And the title of it is what drew me to it because this is so Alice in Chains (laughs) Private Hell. Those harmonies are perfect.
1: Yeah, they found the right guy to, to fill that, fill those shoes for sure. Yeah, I love the record, man. It's such a, it's a good one. Really enjoy the next record too. The, think you mentioned the Devil Put Dinosaurs here. I think is equally as strong. Maybe a little bit more upbeat.
0: Yeah, I listened to it to to bookend with this, and I still, I'd pick this one if I had to choose one. That if I could only keep one, this would be of those two. I would keep this one. So that was Black Gives Way to Blue, with blue in the title. And we got Valentine's Day. It's got a heart on the cover, although it is a human heart. Not a Valentine heart, but it almost fits.
1: Almost, almost. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of which, we do have another blue record here for you. One that's uh, also appropriate for the upcoming Valentine's holiday. This is uh, Tom Waits and Blue Valentine.
0: You're my boy, Blue! Oh my God.
1: <laughs> Send me blue valentines, like half-forgotten dreams, like a pebble in my shoe as I walk these streets the your memory, baby, is a a kiss. Yeah, that's the title track, Blue Valentine's, from Tom Waits' fifth studio album. This is coming out in 1978 on Asylum Records. Yeah, Tom Waits, man. Such an iconic uh, figure for me. Got that distinctive, gravely, soulful delivery there. Really interesting singer songwriter. Um, changed a lot throughout his career. Um, this is kind of like the beginning of like second phase of his career, I would say. He started out as kind of more of like a piano bar singer songwriter type guy, and this record here, he kind of transitions into this more blues and and jazz orientated uh, delivery here. But yeah, this record is produced by Bones Howe, who interesting fact was the music supervisor on Back to the Future and produced California Dreamin' by the Mamas and the Papas. Pretty weird, right? I did not know that. (laughs) Weird, wild stuff. Yeah, so Tom, he's really, he's neck deep in that, you know, thick storytelling, um, atmospheric uh, songwriting style he has here. It's kind of his trademark in terms of, Creating these really colorful characters and kind of diving into those weird details of their stories, and oftentimes it's it's you know these unseedy characters who you know kind of on the underbelly of society here that he likes to talk about. Um, what did you think of this record, man? Are you a fan of his? Are you aware of him? Or...
0: Oh, sure. I I'm very aware of him because he's mentioned all the time amongst like the greatest and best albums ever and all that stuff. But I've never actually listened to one of his albums all the way through. Maybe one of the more recent ones where his voice is just <laughs> pure gravel. Yeah. But this one, man, I don't, I mean, with the bluesy jazz stuff and the show tunes, like at first, it's really hard to, for me. I even looked up like, what is it about Tom Waits that people are into? Because <laughs> I wanted to get advice yeah. to understand what the appeal is. Because right at first, like it starts off with some uh, Barbara Streisand song, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. The first track is uh, Somewhere, you know, covers that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're like Barbra Streisand, which is.
0: So when yeah. I hear that, <laughs> I'm like, okay, is this like, a Muppet movie soundtrack, like the Muppets take the <laughs> take the uh, psych ward or something. Like he's yeah. got a comically Muppety, fake sounding. <laughs> like it sounds like a put on. Like he's trying to be funny, right? But then as you slip into it, eventually you get used to it, and then it actually is quite enjoyable. It just takes for those of you that haven't that aren't familiar with Tom Waits. Just be patient. You're allowed to giggle and go, "What the hell? Why is this guy singing this way? Is this for real?" And then it's once it sound, becomes normal, I enjoyed it. But right at first, I'm like, w- "Why?" That's what I was googling. What, what do people like about Tom Waits?
1: <laughs> yeah, that first track, man, it kind of threw me for a loop too. And I first <laughs> when I heard that, it's a little over the top and. Maybe, if you haven't heard him before, skip to the second track. It's a little more palatable.
0: I mean, honestly, it's it's all good. And it's just a matter of being prepared for it. I get why. I mean, I, the storytelling itself is great. The way that he delivers is great. It's a good record, and I get it. And I will listen to more Tom Waits so I can continue to sort of uh, sand down my, my shruggy shoulders when I hear it and just cool myself off. It's good. It's really good. I get it. I'm starting to get it. It just I, I wasn't. I didn't know what I was getting into when I started.
1: Yeah. Well, his voice is like a 90 grit sandpaper, there, man. So you should <laughs> put that on for a little while. You get that sanded down pretty quick. Oi. Um, yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, he started out his career as kind of more of this um, on the piano, company with a little you know bass a lot of times and his songs were often about himself. Um, but then with this record here, that started to change, and he got more into the blues side of things with the electric guitar and some drums. The perspective of the song started to change. He started talking about other people, and we get narratives from other people's perspectives, which I think is way more interesting. Um, and we're going to play this next track here it is from the perspective of a hooker in Minneapolis, and she's uh, she's writing a letter home to her lover, and Talking about all the regrets and problems she's had in her life. It's a pretty interesting track here. It's called Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis. Charlie, I think I'm happy the first time since my accident I wish I had all the money We used to spend on dope Buy me a used car lot i wouldn't sell any of them I'd just drive a different car every day depending on how i feel yeah so the storytelling and those kind of really specific descriptions that tom has become famous for is, is really what why you're listening to Tom Waits and why he's popular and why he matters still after this is his 15th record you know he's been putting on music for many decades now and he's still still relevant and fortunately his voice can't get much worse so he'll probably still be around for a few more decades too
0: yeah i like the title I was a little worried when I saw it because I was like, is there gonna like is he gonna sing Is a Christmas card from a hookah in Minneapolis? <laughs> but he didn't, so I was happy about that.
1: No man, He's, this is some good music to put on, you know, if late in the night and have a scotch with or in a smoky bar or in a jazz club or something like that. Yeah, so those are our Blue Records. What uh there's a ton of other blue albums out there.
0: You're my boy, Blue.
1: <laughs> what other records do you guys listen to that uh, has blue in the title? We'd love to know. Leave us a note on our website uh, on the show page. Leave us a comment. Let us know what blue records you've been listening to. Coming up next week on the show, we're going to be continuing our new wave of British heavy metal and funk central projects we've been doing in 2018. Second show in the series. Going to give you just a little taste of what's coming right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I dig it too, man. That's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, that's next week on the show. Be sure to tune in. Then, in the meantime, what should the good folks do, my pan?
0: (laughs) My pan? Well, my pan, (laughs) they should, uh, is that a new thing? That's cool. I like it. All right. What Mm. the people should do. That's right, the Funky Pan. They need to. The people out there, the album nerds, you know what, people? You got to listen to albums, and you got to talk to your friends about them, and you got to talk about the Album Nerds podcast with your friends. So why don't you get out there, get your friends and your family members and people who love music to subscribe to our show. They can do that on the uh, Apple Podcast app, often referred to as iTunes. They can do it in, uh, in the Google world. Google Play Music, as well as Stitcher Radio. Listen to our show on albumnerds.com as well. And if you want to talk to us directly quick and dirty, then find us on Twitter and symbol at albumnerds. So until the next time when we get funky and do some nwabum. That's right, Andy. Nwabum, new a wave of British heavy metal. <laughs> until next week. Peace out.
1: See you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. You're yeah, my boy, Blue! You're my boy!